0: Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. Today Jason is in part six of our series of a walk through the Acts. Today his sermon is entitled The Witness of the Holy Spirit. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. And today, Jason is looking at verses 5 through 13. Here's Jason.
1: It's great to have you all here this morning. I am Pastor Jason, and we are walking through the book of Acts, where we have seen Jesus at work, Jesus continues to be at work, and I'm very excited about continuing on and in Acts chapter 2, and I decided to do something a little bit different today, rather than starting off with some story as an introduction, or or this or that, that I would take us back through the first four verses of Acts chapter 2, just to tie up any loose ends, or for those of you that weren't here with us last week, so that you can grasp the significance of what has happened before we see today, verses 5 to 13, and what I've term today's sermon the the witness of the Holy Spirit because before we we see the witness of the Holy Spirit we actually saw heaven act last week and you'll notice in your in your bulletin that your insert there there is a, a fill in the blank and it's a review from last week and so I, I thought I'd just go ahead and walk you all through that and the fill-in-the-blank says this. It says, Last week we saw what? We saw heaven act. As the church of Christ was born and the Holy Spirit was involved in three different actions. Baptizing, indwelling, and, and filling. And then we're going to see today three different reactions as a result of those actions that took place. But I wonder if some of us are still a little bit fuzzy on exactly what chapter 2, verses 1-4 to four, we're communicating even what maybe I communicated, and this was indeed the, the birthday of the church. And it does tell us exactly when that happened. It, it happened on the day of Pentecost. And so I thought maybe what I would do is I would go through and i just I try to clearly define what the different terms are that, that we looked at last week, perhaps to make things a little bit clearer in, in, in case... You still might be fuzzy. And if you're not fuzzy, then great. You can use this as a foundation to jump off into verse 5 as we unpack the rest of the text, getting up to the first sermon that we see um, in the church, the sermon by Peter that we'll see next week. So what I talked about was the birth of the church. And I don't want you guys to misrepresent what I mean by the birth of the church because I was not talking about Rancho Baptist Church. I was not talking about the local church at all, actually. I was talking about what, what could be termed the universal church. And if I was going to define the universal church, it would be simply this. Those who have been placed into a union with Christ and dwelled by the Holy Spirit and thereby placed in the church of Christ. The universal church, meaning all believers from this point on in history are part of the church. You and I are part of the universal church as we are part of Rancho Baptist Church, which is the local church that, that meets here. But what's in scope, what's in view here is, is more of the idea of, of the universal church. And I, and I said what, what we saw from here is that heaven is acting. And not just any particular part of heaven, but actually this is all pointing towards the Holy Spirit. He is in focus on everything that is going on from the symbols that are used to his filling and empowering that we're going to see today and and what happens. But I thought since I used the, the term Pentecost last week, maybe I would just go over that one more time so that we all know for sure what we are dealing with. So Pentecost... I said it, in, in the Greek it's 50th, 50th day, so you could think, you could define it as a 50th day after Passover, but that's not really good enough because this was a particular Pentecost that never happened before this time, has never happened since this time. Why? Because this was the birth of the church. So this is an important, special Pentecost. And I took us back to Leviticus 23 and I talked about these feasts. And I said that that Pentecost is is actually also called the Feast of Harvest. And I said that in that Feast of Harvest that they would then get the grain from the harvest and they would make two loaves of bread, remember? And those two loaves of bread were leavened bread, which, which was kind of uncommon. And the reason why it was leavened bread is because leaven represents sin and sin is still part of the church. Because if anybody that wasn't a sinner... Needed to leave, nobody would be here and we'd all be gone, right? We are saved sinners by grace. That is what constitutes the church with Christ as our head who is the sinless, perfect Son of God. And, and I said that there are other feasts that are represented in, in, in Leviticus that, that also point to key times, key events. Passover would, would point to the crucifixion of Christ where He shed His blood. Pictured in back the time with Moses, right? Where, where in, order, in order for that death angel to go over their families, what did they have to do? They had to take the blood from a spotless lamb and, and paint their doorposts. That was a picture of what Christ brought to us through his death on the cross. And so that's Passover. And, and then there was the first fruits feast, which is representative of, of Jesus raising from the dead. And then we get to to Pentecost, which was another feast celebrated. And that was a a picture of the birth of the church. But we didn't just see that. That was just the beginning. Then then we saw something amazing in verse 2 that says that a noise like a rushing violent wind came. And I said that was representative of of what? Of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And, And how would I define that? Well, I I would define that just as this. Placing the believers into the church. It's what the Holy Spirit does and it says that that the whole house was was filled. And and that's the idea that at that time the Holy Spirit then placed them in Christ or in the church. And what happens now, unlike this time where they had to wait 50 days in order for the Spirit to come upon them, that, that you and I, when we are truly saved... That the Holy Spirit comes and baptizes us, placing us in Christ as the book of Ephesians talks about, places us in his church. And this is seen in well, turn with me to first Corinthians chapter twelve, so you just don't take it as Jason's word, <laughs> but you you actually read it for yourselves and see oh, that's where it talks about that. First Corinthians chapter twelve, verse thirteen. to see what this baptism of the Holy Spirit is and what, what it does. For by one Spirit, capital S, meaning the Holy Spirit, we were all, all, all believers baptized. And, and he's writing this to the Corinthians that obviously were sin, sinners, saved sinners, but having palms in their church, right? We are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. So it, it is that, The baptism of the Holy Spirit which places the believers into the body of Christ, into the church, the universal church. But that is not all that we saw in in, in the beginning of of chapter 2, right? Not only did we see this this noise like a violent rushing wind, but then in verse 3 we saw these tongues as of fire. And I said that those represent the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And if I was going to define the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it's simply this. The Holy Spirit comes and takes residence in the believer permanently. That's what happens there. And it's represented by the tongues on each one of them, all of them, because if God didn't give them some sort of physical representation, first audible that they could hear, then visible that they could see with their eyes the tongues, then they wouldn't have known what was happening because the Holy Spirit is spirit and you cannot see Him. And so this is something that should give us confidence, right? That this has indeed happened to you and to I. But that's not all that that we looked at last week. The third act of the Holy Spirit is seen in verse 4. And that is the filling of the Holy Spirit. And you you can't be filled with something that you don't have. And so in in some cases, you could look at the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit as something positional, something that happens once, whereas the Filling of the Holy Spirit is something that happens many times. And as such, it's more practical. And if I was going to define the filling of the Holy Spirit, I would do it something like this. It's it's yielding to the Spirit's power so that He totally controls you. That's, That's what the filling is. Yielding to the Holy Spirit's power so that He totally controls you. That that's what's pictured in Ephesians 5.18 when it says, don't be drunk with wine, but be what? But be filled by the Holy Spirit. Be controlled. Just as wine would be a controlling influence on you and lead you and have you do all sorts of things, well, you need to have the Holy Spirit being the controlling influence in your life. So all of that was heaven acting, right? And the Holy Spirit doing these three actions and what we're going to see today is the earth reacting? And particularly those on the earth reacting to, to what we saw in verses 1 to 4. So let's look at these verses together, and, and we'll read them all first. Acts chapter 2, verses 5 to 13, and, and you follow along with me as I read out loud. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they are full of sweet wine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word that teaches us so much about you, about us, about sin, about salvation, about your wonderful Savior, and about the church. We pray that you would teach us now, Spirit, that you would guide everything that happens now, and that you would set me aside and speak boldly through your word as only you can. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So the three reactions. The first reaction is coming together. And we see this in, in, in verses 5 and 6, but we're going to just unpack verse 5 first. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. So the first thing that that, that we're told is who these people were. This big crowd that gathers, we say in particular, we see here that they were Jews, not Gentiles. And and that goes right along with what I said that, that we see in the first 12 chapters of Acts. Who's being singled out? It's the Jewish people we are going to see the gentiles like cornelius and and other ones come in but for the most part everything is centralized right now in jerusalem and in the jewish people notice that that they were living where in jerusalem you know as i read different commentaries and i've actually heard sermons preached over and over again lots of people say oh these guys were just sojourners they were just temporarily in jerusalem for Passover and then they stayed for Pentecost and this and that. Well, that isn't what the text says. This implies residency, that they actually lived there. And so I don't believe these guys were, were coming through and then leaving. They, they were living in Jerusalem. And I believe what it's talking about is it's talking about Jews that were part of the diaspora Or the dispersion that happened? Do do you remember with the Assyrians and the Babylonians and how they came in and they upset the whole nation and scattered them everywhere? And they lived in subjectivity and captivity for for all those years. And then then at some point, they were free, right? And some of them chose to stay, like Esther and Mordecai. They chose to stay and, and... in that area. Others, what? They came back to Jerusalem. They came back to the to the promised land. Why? Because they were what? Devout men. W- what does devout mean? It, it can mean different things. It can mean religious. It can mean pious. It, it can mean God-fearing. And, and I believe God-fearing is probably better held for talking about Cornelius in chapter 10 than it is so much about these men. I believe these guys were religious, they were pious, but they were indeed not saved. I believe they were going through the motions of of, of what a good Jew would do, and that's why they probably moved to this area. But don't forget that many of them, as we're going to see, they were from a different place. And so because of that, they knew several languages. No doubt they knew Aramaic and Greek because that was what was being spoken in Jerusalem at this time. But they also knew other languages, as we're we're going to see, which is where they were from. Their heart language, as we would call it, in Papua New Guinea. So we we see that they're living in Jerusalem. We see that they are indeed devout, meaning religious men. And then we'll see exactly what happens. What God does in order to bring all of these people into one spot so that they might hear the wonders of God first and and the Gospel. Look at verse 6 and 7. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and, and were bewildered because each of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? So what brought all of these guys together? It says this sound. And again, many people, they like to put a lot of emphasis on tongues in, in this passage. And what they walk away with from Acts chapter 2 is, is tongues, 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 tongues. And, and yet, I don't believe that's what they heard. Even though many people would say, oh, I'm sure that's what they heard because they were speaking in tongues. Look at how amazed they were. Well, no, actually, they came before they were uh, amazed. and And look at what It doesn't say in this word, sound. You notice there's no S at the end. It's not plural. So it's talking about one sound. And and what we see in in verse 4 is many sounds. That's a a plural, right? Tongues, languages. So what it has to be talking about is verse 2. This noise like a violent rushing wind. I believe God used that to pull these people like a magnet to this particular area. They must have been close enough to the temple or whatever to hear the sound like a tornado, but there was no wind. And so they were no doubt wondering, what in the world is going on? Let's go check this out. You know that crowds are gathered in all sorts of different ways. You can have a guy on a skateboard doing all sorts of tricks, bikes, you can have a dance crew. I saw that in San Francisco where you guys are dancing and then they hand out like little buckets for you to put money in and all sorts of stuff. Well, this is the best. <laughs> Can you imagine? That that they could actually hear this crazy wind and yet it wasn't wind. And God knew exactly what he was doing to set the stage to bring all of these devout Jews here to hear what they were about to hear. And so God pulls them over, so to speak, almost like a magnet and, and gives them an opportunity to What? to then be, we see their next reaction, to be amazed. And why were they amazed? They were amazed because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. Now, now I touched on this last week and I thought, okay, this would probably be a good time for me to touch on this a little bit more, on, on, on this aspect of, of tongues. Tongues. And it was spoken of in verse four as tongues, and yet now in, in verse six we, we see that it that it's languages. And sometimes translators translate it as tongues, and other times they translate it as languages, and just between you and I, it would be so much better to grasp the understanding of this if they kept it as languages throughout their translations. But instead they didn't. I I don't it goes back to King James and, and, and this and that. And at that time, tongues was understand, understood as a language. Now, it's, it's not so much understood as a language as it is a, a strange experience, right? Something that's a little fuzzy. They're not sure exactly what that is. Is that a language or not? And yet, first century Greek speakers and readers of this, they saw this word, which is glossa, They would think either in terms of the tongue, the physical tongue, or of language. That's all. That's how they would interpret it. That's what they would think. This this other kind of thing that that is just difficult to know exactly what it is is a strange experience. They wouldn't have thought of it in terms like that. And I, I want you to, I've spent a lot of time thinking and even praying about this because where we lived, for 17 years, I, I, man, it was a waste of my first four years of learning language study if I could have just been given this gift. I mean, honestly, I, I, I would have been back home doing this a lot faster. <laughs> so, so why didn't that happen? And, and, and why is it that in so many other places where fellow New Tribes missionaries, that is now called Ethnos, and Bible, Wycliffe Bible translators, If there's anybody that should be receiving this gift, it should be them. Wouldn't you think? But I'm sorry, I know none. Not one. I know guys by God's wonderful grace. He wasn't gifted in language, but he went to the Philippines and he painstakingly went at it year after year after year after year. And God blessed him and he is now in ministry there, preaching and teaching. But it took him like ten to twelve years to get the language. The reality is that I, I just don't see tongues functioning like that, not in this kind of circumstance. So, so maybe what it would be good for us to do is to just flush this out a little bit, and and let me explain things a little bit more fully. As last week, I actually didn't turn to any passages in Corinthians and. And explain them, so so, let me just do a little segue here and let's let's talk about and think about tongues. I, I think the best question that we need to ask first, and this is the question that that is posed is 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 tongues or languages specified in the book of Acts the same as the tongues and languages specified and talked about in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. Or are we talking about apples and oranges? Are we talking about one as a human language and that's Acts 2? And then what we see in Acts 12 to 14 is actually, no, that's an orange, that's a heavenly angelic language. And, and what I'm gonna present this morning is that they're not apples and oranges. It's apples and apples. And that it's talking about human language over and over again. And that Paul and Luke, they don't change the way that they, that they speak in Greek. In Greek, they both use the same verb and the same noun to describe this the speaking in tongues. To speak is the, is the Greek verb laleo, And I'm not normally a guy that gets in and and wants to articulate Greek. It's it's not very helpful, but in this case it is. To speak is laleo, glossa, which is languages. That's, That's the combination that you see. Not only in Luke with Acts, but you see the same thing in Corinthians. And here's something also very interesting. Do you know which book was written first? Corinthians or Acts? I just gave you a really good hint. Corinthians or Acts? <laughs> Corinthians was actually written first five years before Acts. And that may not seem significant, but it's very significant. Because if Luke, who was what? He was a traveling companion with Paul. Everywhere Paul went, Luke was there. Most Lots of his missionary journeys. And so it would follow that Luke actually knew what was going on. Right? It could have been that Luke actually had been privy to Corinthians and actually read it and knew what the tongues was that he was talking about. And yet, when you get to Acts, he doesn't show that there's two different kinds of languages, two different kinds of tongues. You would think if there were two different kinds of tongues as represented in 1 Corinthians 12-14, to that, that Luke would then say, okay, but here in, in 2, 5, 6, what I mean is the language of humans. But he doesn't say that. It's almost as if he's saying it doesn't need to be explained because there's only one language and it's the language of humans on this earth. Another rule of Bible interpretation would be good for, for us to consider. And that rule is this. When, you're, when it comes to interpreting Scripture, you always let the more clear and the definitive passage of Scripture dictate and help you interpret the less clear and more ambiguous passage of Scripture. And and I believe these passages in in, in 1 Corinthians 12-14, to they're less clear. And so the book of Acts, in chapter 2 particularly, is very clear. It lets us know exactly what it's talking about. It's talking about known languages. But just so that you know, that that, um, I believe that Corinthians can be explained. Let's turn to Corinthians. Don't take my word for it. Let's look and see what the Apostle Paul says. And let's go to first, chapter 14 first. And then I'll kind of work my way back. Acts chapter 14, verses 10. Well, and 11, but I'll probably only do 10. 11, he's just adding some weight to the whole argument that he's trying to present. And remember, 14 now, he's in, in this... Context. He's, he's talking about tongues and how they need to be interpreted. And so what kind of tongues is he talking about? What is it languages? Is it heavenly language or, or what? And look what he says. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world and no kind is without meaning. He limits the scope as to what language it is. It can't be an angelic language because he says it's a language in the world, kinds of languages in the world. That Greek term is, is is genos. It's 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 talking about languages of the world, and there's subcategories of languages and and this and that, and and so we we see that that's what the apostle Paul is is talking about here when he comes to delineate the language. He says, man, it has meaning, and I think the fact that it has to be interpreted actually adds weight to this argument as well. That these are indeed human languages that people understood, or else why would you need an interpreter? Anybody could interpret it. No, it it was actually understandable. But let's turn back and and, and look at 1 Corinthians 12.10, which is another passage that many go to and say, oh, look, this supports the idea that there are different kinds of tongues and some that are earthly languages and some that are heavenly languages, such as angel talk or something. And he's going over here the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives. And and, and rightfully so, there are many, many gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to the church and we see them here. He just talks about the gift of faith in verse 9 then the gifts of healing and then he goes on in 10. And to another, the effecting of miracles and to another, prophecy and to another, the distinguishing of spirits and then this one. To another, various kinds of tongues and to another, the interpretation of tongues. There, I got you Pastor Jason, you're right. Look it. Right there, various kinds of tongues. The only problem is this is the same word used in 1 Corinthians 14.10. It's this genos, genos word that it has to do with family groups of languages. Uh, uh, it refers to a, a particular la- language grouping of, of a nation or say even a, a country. And in Papua New Guinea, where we served, it, it, It was amazing. The languages, there's over 900 different languages, but you can categorize them into three different groups. And it kind of goes, you have an islands region where the language structure is a certain way. You have a highlands region of Papua New Guinea where the language structure is a certain way. And it's very difficult. Like it takes people 8, 10, 12, 15 years to get languages up there really, really hard. And then the Sepik region, which is where we lived and where we ministered, is kind of the middle of the road language. And what I'm saying isn't that because I learned one language I know all the languages in the CPIC. What I'm saying is is that the grammar structure is very similar. And so if a guy is having a hard time a couple miles away from us, learning his language, but he lives close to us in proximity, and he's saying, Man, Jason, I just can't figure out the verbs. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on. If I say throw a stone and 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 they they change that throw on me there 's like eight different words for throw i don 't understand and i 'm oh oh, I got you, I know why it 's the same in our village because they have one word for throw if it 's one stone, a t- totally different verb you can 't say throw if it 's more than one stone, but then you have to change it two more ways if it 's more than one stone to one person, say I took a whole bunch of stones and chucked them at one person versus taking a whole bunch of ch- stones and chucking them at a whole bunch of people that 's four different words you can 't say throw. Yeah, welcome to my world when I was learning language. That's all to say that the grammar structure is similar. And that even though the words are different, the way they put their language together is the same. That's genos. That's what this is talking about. That the, that the languages of the earth are like that. That's why we have kinds of languages. Making it seem like, oh, there's... No, no, no. It's talking about that they are related in some aspects, but not in others. A bigger one that I'm sure some of you are already thinking of. Let's go there. 1 Corinthians 13. What what do you do with that, Jason? You just told us that, that there's probably nothing really legitimate in Scripture about tongues of angels and angelic speech and ecstatic language. And, and what do we do with that? What, what was going on here? Well, I believe they were, they were abusing the gifts. But, but that's not what we're contending right now. I, I'm, I'm merely trying to show that that it seems from Scripture that there's only one kind of language and that's earthly human language. Even though we see this in Paul. If I speak with tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Well, there it is. Tongues of men and of angels. Languages. Obviously, the you can get this tongue where it's the tongue of angels. Well, well hold on. N- notice what the very first... Word is in chapter 13 verse 1. It's a conditional clause, if, if I speak with tongues of men. So, so it's not, he, he's not teaching on tongues for one. What is he teaching on in, 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 13? First Corinthians, it's love. Everything is pointed towards love. He's not giving some, some long extensive care into the nuances of, of tongues and this and that no he's actually using tongues as a way to make his point that love is greater and what does he use he uses hyperbole this is exaggeration he's saying man if you think you have the gift of tongues and not only that you could actually speak the human languages but you blew it out of the water and you actually could speak like an angel but you didn't have love it wouldn't matter anything He's using exaggeration. He's not teaching that, that this is what should be happening, just as he, he goes on and, and, and says, and if you have the faith to move a mountain. Now Christ did say that, that you could move a mountain with their faith, but, but his point again is exaggeration. He's saying that's not the norm. And even if you could do that, and you didn't have love. Why? Because he's pointing everything towards love and he and he ends the same way in verse three that if you gave up all your possessions, you surrendered everything and were willing to be burned. Uh, again, he's he's overstating himself because that's not the norm. He said, but if he didn't have love, it wouldn't matter, and so that's what his whole point is. He, he's he's exaggerating a point, and I believe he was exaggerating this idea of tongues as well. Okay, so en- enough of our little digression. <laughs> Let's get back to to Acts chapter two. And this whole idea of of the fact that they were, they were amazed. And let's look at verses seven and eight, which says, they were amazed and astonished saying, why, why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? So, so not only were they bewildered, but now we see two terms that seem kind of the same, right? They were bewildered, they were amazed, they were astonished. But when you see these two words together, it not only gives the meaning that they were completely surprised at what was taking place, but they could not explain it. It made no sense to them, so they couldn't even articulate a response as to what was going on. And that's why at the end we're going to see what does this mean? They have no idea. But I don't think it was so much the languages that they were speaking that was blowing their minds but it was who was speaking the languages. Notice who they say. They say Galileans. Do you, do you remember when, when Peter was found out and, 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 the, and, and he denied Christ? Do you remember what the calling card was? Do you remember how they knew that he had been with Jesus? His speech. You're a Galilean. Your speech gives you away. There must have been something in the understanding of a Galilean that they were just normal, simple folk uneducated, that were basically farmers and, and fishermen. They weren't supposed to be ones that had studied all these different languages and then could then speak these languages. They were uneducated. And so that adds more to their amazement. And that's why we see what, what happens next. They, they say, oh yes, and on, on top of what we said before, they're speaking in our own languages, it was actually the language that, that we were born into as children. So going back to the diaspora, wherever they're from, and we're going to see exactly now where they're from and what many people have turned as the roll call of the nations. Look at this. It's so neat to see Christ's perspective on His building the church. Verses 9 to 11. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. Okay, I know most of that doesn't mean anything to you or to I. Not a whole lot, unless you've done some history and and, and you're into geography and, and things like that. So let me break this down. What what he's doing is he's showing us that the gospel is going to go north, east, west, and south. It's not going to stop here in Jerusalem. In fact, you know it's not going to stop here because look at who's representative. Who's representative here is is basically the whole known world. When he says north, we're we're talking Egypt and Libya, west, going all the way to Rome, south to the Mediterranean island of Crete, and then finally east to, to, to Arabia. And he's also mixing in peoples with this. He says the Parthians, the Medes, the Elamites, the Romans, the the Cretans, the the Arabians, and lands, Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea, Cappadocia, what's he doing? He's putting everybody into a pot and saying, everybody is now fair game. We're going to reach them all. That is where my church is going to be established. It's going to be a concentric circle that gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And these guys are freaking out. Why? Because they have never heard this kind of talk going on in their own language. They've, they've no doubt gone to the temple and they've heard some wonderful things in Aramaic. So look at the way that they respond. And you notice I stopped in 11. So as they were we told who it was that was hearing this, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. So my question for you this morning then is, does that constitute the gospel? Could what they have done got them saved? And let me answer for you, no. (laughs) It was not the gospel. How do I know that? Because Peter gives the gospel and you're going to hear that next week. This was the mighty deeds of God. I believe this is what we would have called in in, in our um, church planting effort, pre-evangelism. This is setting the stage. This is also laying down the authority of who these guys are and that they are representing who? Christ. As Christ did these amazing things, obviously that same Christ is working in and through them. The mighty deeds of God. This was like a Jewish way of thinking. So they were meeting them exactly where they were at. Because as you look over... Like say the book of Psalms, we're going through that right now, Psalm 145. And you could do that this week. Read Psalm 145. And what you'll see as, what we've seen as a staff, Is the mighty works of God being exalted over and over and over and over again. And that's what these guys do. So no doubt they were saying amen to the walls of Jericho falling down. Amen to the Lord leading them out of Egypt. Amen to the parting of the Red Sea. Amen to all these things. All part of what? Getting them to the place to where Peter could stand up and give them truth. And put everything together. Because up to this point, what are they? They're totally confused. What does this mean? And finally, what we see is the saddest reaction in verse 13, but we'll start with 12. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? They didn't know. But others were mocking and saying, They are full of sweet wine." I think our Bibles did a good job of translating that mocking because the word that they use for for wine notice says sweet wine it's not the normal word for for an alcoholic beverage that would get you drunk this is this is talking about a a wine that's not fermented this is talking about literally grape juice that no matter how much you drink it was not going to get you drunk. And so it's like they're making an extra stab at, at the 120 in what they're doing. You notice how half of them say, we don't know what's going on, and this other half says, oh, we know exactly what's going on. They're drunk. No, you don't know what's going on, and that's why we're going to see in Peter's sermon next week, the first thing that he hits is this. And he goes right after them. Confidently, but doesn't belabor the point at all. It, it, isn't it strange how Two sets of people can hear the same exact thing, watch the same thing, and come away with two entirely different vantage points and interpretations. Two reactions to the works and the mysteries of God. Without the element of personal faith, even the most amazing works of God can be totally and utterly rejected. Right? But by God's grace, He allows us to hear the gospel and understand and repent and trust Him and recognize, oh my, I so much need a Savior because I cannot make it to heaven on my own and in my own good works. So today, perhaps you're like these ones that that were just mocking and you've come to church all these years. Or maybe this is the first time you've come to church and you're wondering why you're here. Well, I can tell you why you're here so that you could hear this. You could hear that Jesus came to die for you. And so that you could live, leave here knowing that there is a Savior and that His name is Jesus and when He came, He died on the cross so that He might purchase the redemption of those who believe in Him. And if you want to know more about that, please come up and talk to one of us after the, after the service here. So let me give us something to, to take home. Just two things. The first is let's commit ourselves this week to consider and to share the wonders of God, either with a fellow believer, recanting how God has just done some amazing things as an encouragement, or to a, someone who doesn't know the gospel and you use that as a segue, as a lead into the gospel. The second thing is 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 a, is a little bit more convicting for me, no, a lot more convicting for me, and that is think about how you tend to react this week. Are are you more tempted to react or to respond as God wants you to respond? And, And let's ask God to help you and I to patiently respond and be filled by His Spirit who then controls us. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for giving us Your Word. We pray now, Lord, that you would write this word upon our hearts. That as we go out from here, Lord, that, that we would grasp the significance of the birth of your church. How incredible it is that we are part of your church, that we have been grafted in, that we have been baptized, that we have been indwelled for those of us that know you as our Lord and Savior. And by your grace, Lord, help us to be filled to be controlled by your spirit as we go out from here. In Jesus' precious name we pray,
0: amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.RanchoBaptistChurch.org That's www.RanchoBaptistChurch.org Have a great day in the Lord and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.